when we were with Maharaji, Ramdas more than anybody would bring his doubt and his fears to Maharaji. He'd come right up and say, I'm angry at people. Hardly yeah. anybody else did that. They tried, they tried to you know, be the good devotee, but Ramdas just let it hang out. Yeah. And it was such a great teaching because Maharaji always just kept showering love. Hey everyone, it's Rago. I'm back with Mind Rolling and a very old friend, very old friend, Ramdev <laughs> <laughs> Dale Borglum. Welcome. Older by the day. Yeah, really. We were just talking about that. Um, but uh, glad to have you here, Ramdev. It's always good. Yeah. As you were saying, very old. It reminded me that I never could quite figure out. I mean, there's all those stories that Ramdas told about Maharaji being like ageless, that that this like ancient woman showed up one day and she said, oh, he looks the same as he did when I was a little girl. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so man. it was like implying that he was like over a hundred years old. And then it seemed like maybe he's in his, like he's 80 years old or something. <laughs> did you ever figure that out or not? No, I don't try and figure that out. Jesus, God. All I, all I know is I think it was the, no, no, it wasn't. It was, it was in the same house, Dada Mukherjee's house in Allahabad that we used to go to to hang with Maharaji because he went there every winter. Or, or Church many, Lane. On yeah. Church Lane, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, the one thing that stands out, like an, uh, an elderly lady, very proper Hindu woman, she saw us, all of these hippies, <laughs> All over the place, you know, women, everybody together. There was no decorum whatsoever. And right. she said, Maharaji, you know, the, the women should be on one side and the men on the other. We got this through the translator. And Maharaji said, are you, they're, they're from the West. They don't know anything. Leave them alone. <laughs> Literally. It's okay, Ma. They're from the West. They don't know anything. <laughs> And we're, here we are. We still don't know anything. That's the horror right. of it all. Yeah. Um, so the other day I happened to... Oh, Ramdev, for those of you who don't know who Dale is, uh, he has two, you know, we all have two monikers, but he uses both of them. Uh, and uh, he has this wonderful institute, uh, Living Dying Center. Living Dying Project. Project. Oh, Okay. LivingDyingProject.org, right? LivingDying.org. LivingDying.org. I mean, and uh, he has been doing this work around death, dying, and um, beyond that sort of very um, uh, focused container. He takes it to another level, and he has been working over his lifetime with uh, Ramdas. Uh, on all of that stuff in, from the 70s and uh, with um, Stephen, Levine. Stephen Levine and who we're going to refer to a little bit into this podcast a little bit more. And uh, so uh, this is tremendous work. Anybody out there who's in need of help either directly because they have gotten uh, 
a diagnosis that's pretty scary or with loved ones, uh, this institute is, I keep calling it an institute because it seems I, to me it's an institute. I don't know why, it's never been an institute. <laughs> it's but. an institution that you've created. All right. It's, uh, well, anyhow. actually, actually, Stephen created it as part of the Hanuman oh, really? Foundation. Oh, that, that uh, Ramdas taught a workshop on the East Coast back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Kubler came as a student and Stephen Levine was the meditation teacher. Huh. And, and Stephen and Elizabeth hit, hit it off. She invited him to be the meditation teacher at her dying retreats. And then after a while, she got involved in like violent psychodrama and all this crazy new age, like beating up mattresses and screaming, I hate you, daddy, and stuff, <laughs> yeah. which didn't dovetail too well with Stephen's meditation. So she and Stephen amicably parted ways, amicably parted ways, I was living with Ramdas in, in Soquel, right outside of Santa Cruz, and Stephen was living in Santa Cruz, and Ramdas invited him to do what he was doing as part of the Hanuman Foundation, of which I was the executive director. Mm. So that was kind of the beginning of, quote, the conscious dying movement in America. Yeah. And the Living Dying Project website, livingdying.org, is the most complete site by far on the web, on the internet with information about dying and conscious dying and compassionate caregiving and all that kind of stuff. We have online workshops. I have a Saturday Zoom group with 270 people in it that's free. Mm, yeah, and uh, you do something on Thursday. So it's very rich and that's why I recommend anybody uh, who's interested whatsoever to go over there and take a look. And, uh, and Ramdas does retreats with us as well, Love, Serve, Remember. And uh, so I saw you, this is what struck me and why I called you to say, hey, let's just do something. Ramdev doesn't even know what I'm talking about. But basically, you do something on, on, uh, on IG, right? Instagram. Yeah. And I happened to see it. And okay, so everybody out there, uh, Ramdev is... Uh, he went through uh, Stanford with a statistics, uh, de not a uh, PhD. PhD, pile right? higher and deeper. In <laughs> yeah. BS so, is bullshit, MS is more shit, and PhD is piled higher and deeper. Oh, I yeah. went all the way. <laughs> you did. But it's like statistics, okay, everybody? It's not psychology or whatever. It's statistics. It was actually mathematics, but that's okay. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, and so what I heard as I tuned into the IG live thing last week, I guess, yes, was th just this tremendous bhakti yoga talk, not bhakti yoga, but bhakti, in other words, heart thing around uh, our guru, Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, we call him. And I'm, look I'm going, wait a minute, because I'm... Uh, Ramda, you know, you, you really are in, you've been very connected to Buddhist teachings over your lifetime. You are very connected to the non-dual. And uh, yeah, you're a strange kind of amalgam there. Well, we all are, because that's our- Strange amalgam. <laughs> Ramdas taught all that stuff. He was like all over the spectrum. Yeah, but but the end, he he disparaged Buddhists at the end. He, yeah, you know what he said? Uh, no, I don't know what he said. He said, 
The thing is about our Buddhist friends is, and he wasn't talking about his close <laughs> friends, Jack, Joseph, and Sharon, and Roshi. He was just, in general, the, the reality that is presented, particularly by the Tibetans, uh, he said, it was so crystal clear, just absolutely a beautiful container, and uh, it would catch your mind in an instant and maybe bypass your heart. That's what he used to say. So, yeah, I don't agree. I don't agree with a lot of things that guy I said. I know. <laughs> you don't. Every time we talk about Ramdas, you go, well, I'm not sure I agree about that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he and I both got PhDs at Stanford. We did have yeah. a really kind of, not really competitive, but a bit of a contentious intellectual relationship. <laughs> and I, I was one of the people that tried to get him to kind of, I mean, I could tell you stories. I don't know if that's what this podcast is about, but just as one example you know, I'm living with him, and every time he would teach a lecture, he'd get, like, really stoned. He'd just, like, smoke hash or whatever. He'd kind of go, like, floating out, out on the stage. I said, Ramdas, there's a whole generation of young people who think that this, like, really stoned guy, that's what spiritual is, right? <laughs> why, don't you try, why don't you try going out there once and not being stoned and just see? He said, no, I can't talk nearly as well. You know, I, uh, I, I need the marijuana to really open my heart. So just try it. Just try it. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't. He liked it. And I said, oh, they still love me. Even if I'm not stoned. He's like, shot. <laughs> oh, God. Um, all right, I won't. Yeah, let's not go further into that uh, reality. Um, I feel the same way, by the way. I'm way more loquacious uh, when I can have a toke here and there. So, so is that why you're so loquacious right now? Not right now. It's too early. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. All right, so. Anyhow, you did this wonderful talk about Maharanim Karoli Baba. And, and I, I did, I was sort of surprised. I was expecting something else. And it led me to think about it a little bit and remember something. And I'm going to read it to you uh, from uh, <laughs> our friend, Bob Thurman. Okay. Right. Bob, who's a close friend of His Holiness the Dalai Lama and taught at Columbia for a, a long time. So it was, um, I guess somebody had a question about, uh, about the word guru. So here's what he said. The, uh, the word guru, he said, is in the original Sanskrit actually means, quote unquote, heavy. Do you ever know that? It's amazing. No. It has a, per, a paternalistic history and connotation. True. The heaviness sits on your forehead. It's the authority you submit to in the family and in the caste and in the culture. In Tibet, they changed the word to Lama, which has more of the meaning of chief or teacher, the real guru. Thomas, uh, I mean, Thomas, Thurman uh, continues, suddenly becomes very intense. The real guru is your own intelligence. Right. Right. See, this is what I thought you'd be talking about the other day. He looks at the woman in the audience and, pre and repeats the phrase, your own intelligence. Intelligence. In some forms, forms of Buddhism, he explains, they made a new concept called a, called a Kalyana Mitra in Sanskrit. Right. 
which means something like spiritual friend, someone who cares about you enough to guide you in a good direction, someone who is motivated by love. The good guru, Thurman emphasizes, puts the responsibility back on you. If you find one who says, oh, you finally returned, now you are home, I have it all, this is a one-stop shopping, give me everything you have, make sure to leave that guru behind. Run for the hills, their agenda is not your agenda. So I, I made a note about, I actually, this book was in a, a book, do you know, um, this great book, Mark Epstein, the Buddhist psychologist, psych, psychotherapist, yeah, yeah. Yes, Mark, who's a wonderful person. And I made an, I did a podcast with him some time ago and I, I had remembered this and I made a note about, gee, I, I wonder, because I never really talked to him about it, nor have I talked to Bob, but I'm going to get a chance because we're doing a retreat and Bob's going to be in it at the end of August and we're, right. we're going to talk. It's, and it's about the intersection of uh, bhakti and Buddhism. And yeah, I just, uh, how do we characterize our relationship with uh, Maharaji, with Neem Karoli Baba, related to many of the truths that Rob, that Bob uh, expresses in this uh, in this little passage. Big question. The big question, isn't it? I mean, really, it is. You, well, you can, without getting you know, platitudes come up one after the other with a question like this, right? Spiritual platitudes. Okay, but I think it's a kind of related to that, even that thing you were saying before about how Ramdas said that a lot of people get into Buddhism and they kind of bypass the heart. Yeah. That like, at least in Tibetan Buddhism, which has more heart in it. Yeah. Uh, traditionally, somebody begins at the beginning and you do 100,000 prostra prostrations and a million mantras, and you do the nundro practice, and you, before you start doing the heart stuff, you do a lot of preparation before you get to tantra and to non-duality. But because it's the West, anybody's got 35 bucks, you go in, you give the Lama, you get the empowerment, you do the thing, you know, and people want the shortcut. And the Lamas say, well, if you got the 35 bucks here, well, we'll give you the teaching. And I, it, I mean, I'm not saying it's a mistake, but Maharaji was not a, a Kalyan Mitra. He was not a spiritual friend. He was, he was consciousness itself. I, I, I've been around a lot of great teachers, a lot of Tibetan teachers, Kalu and, and Dujin Rinpoche and mm. uh, Karmapa and all those people. The only person I ever felt was close to Maharaji was Anandamai, to his level of, of uh, awakening. And I actually, I'll just just say, uh, I thought the same uh, of uh, 16th Karmapa. 16th Karmapa sure. too. Yeah. I would agree with that. When he would do that black hat ceremony, yeah, it would yeah. shake the yeah. universe. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, It's so difficult, Raghu, because it just seems to me that Maharaji is so different from all, all the other stuff we're talking about because he wasn't part of a lineage or a tradition. Mm. I mean, you know, he loved Hanuman, he was Hanuman, whatever, but he didn't push that on us, really. I mean, it, it was... Christ is what he pushed, <laughs> big time. <laughs> he gave me a Christian mantra, and I was trying to... I get. I went to 
India to get away from Christianity. Yeah. And and for the last 50 years, I've been saying this Christ mantra. It's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Yeah, well, I guess it is. But uh, so there's the Upaguru and the Satguru. Maharaji was a Satguru. And I don't think he's any different from every other teacher in the sense that it is that, uh, what was the term that Bob Thurman used there? That inner wisdom or inner knowing or something? What, did it, what it was the word you used there? Uh, Toward the end? It's, well, he says it's the real guru is your own intelligence. Your own intelligence. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, when I was with Maharaji and for years and years after, I would dream about him and I would feel his presence. And then all of a sudden, maybe not a sudden, but like pretty quickly, he disappeared. And for a year or two, I thought, I must be a bad devotee. You know, I wasn't saying the mantra enough. I'm a bad boy. He's left me. <laughs> and then I got this message. He said, I'm here, but it's time for you to get out of the nest. It's time for you to use your own wings. I'm not going to be holding your hand in that way. It's like you you got the transmission, you know the stuff. Now you got to live it. You just just go out there and do it. It's fine. You know, I'm here. And uh so so many people come and say, "Oh, you're so lucky you met Maharaji and I didn't." And in a way, yeah, good karma and all that and but at the same time, I, I mean, I really remember what Joseph Goldstein said at the first summer at Naropa when we, we dragged him into a Guru Purnima, which, you know, he's, he's like the, the least devotional person, high being you're ever going to meet. And I'm not saying that in any disparaging way. He said, Maharaji must have been such a great teacher because he is all the most difficult students. <laughs> And that, right. that, and that those of us that really needed the advanced training had to get our butts to India and get hepatitis and malaria and dysentery. <laughs> mm. I mean, there's a lot of people who are just as close to Maharaji that didn't have to go to India. You know, that yes. he's, he's firmly implanted in their hearts. And uh, I actually, by the way, have proof of that. Okay, I'd like to hear it. <laughs> this is oh. in the form of a, a, a little bit of a commercial. This book, Whisper in the Heart. Is that a book or is that a poster you've got there? No, it's a book. You've got the whole book? Yeah, I've got the advance, the only advanced copy. It's coming out August uh, mid, 16th or something. But Written this, by your ex-wife. <laughs> so Mother of my children, I call her. <laughs> and uh, it's... Uh, it is stories of people's encounters with Neem Karoli Baba after he left that body in 1973 in September. And uh, when you go through it, you stop thinking so much of that. what that thing, I mean, it's a beautiful thing with that blanket and everything. It's just, you know, it's phenomenal. But that thing is beyond that. You start to understand that when you read these stories that are nothing to do with him being in a body or not. They're the right. same as what Ramdev and I experienced back then. Um, so it starts to uh, engage with what 
Robert Thurman is saying in terms of uh, u- universal intelligence is one good way to characterize what that thing there is. People call it God, Buddha nature, whatever. It's got many, many, many different names. Right. And in this case, uh, this he was not a teacher. He is not a teacher, except he is a vast teacher in terms of understanding that everything is like Ram Dass's grist for the mill. Everything is just perfectly designed. If you can just move your Mimi aside a little bit to know that everything is perfectly designed for you to be free of that mini self eventually. And uh, that is, the, to me, the paramount description of, of what a, a real teacher is and a real guru. And in this case, uh, I'm going to continue that discussion with Bob when I meet up with him at the end of the next month. So but going back to that thing that Ram Dass said that a lot of Buddhists bypass the heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, people, I, to me, each path has its own strength and weaknesses. I mean, if you look at Hare Krishna people, they go right into the heart, but they bypass being grounded and centered and being in their bodies. Yeah. And, and what, what Maharaji did is he didn't have one path. He was all paths. I mean, he, and if you look at how people have, practiced after they've left him. There's the Tibetan Buddhists like Danny and Tara, and there's there's Zen people and Sufi people and Christian people. And I think each of us have had to find our own way. Uh, whereas if, if you're like into Soto Zen, like Suzuki Roshi, or you're into the Dalai Lama's uh, school of Tibetan Buddhism, like Bob Thurman, there, there's a real pres- prescribed path that takes you from point A to point B to point C. And there, there is the danger in Buddhism that it's so beautiful intellectually that, yeah, you can just jump into that part. But basically, Vajrayana Buddhism is, is a tantric path. And tantra is really tricky if you don't have a teacher. Because when you start seeing it, it's all God, it's all the face of the mother, it's all, it's all the manifestation of Shakti then so is so is drinking whiskey and so is screwing your students and so is whatever you want, yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of these Tibetan teachers have come over, they got in all kinds of trouble. I'm not going to mention any names, but you can <laughs> mention almost any Tibetan and lama. Not just Tibetans. I mean, the, uh, many, many teachers from the East get lost over here uh, or over there. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Just uh, that's a fact. But the, the, the point I'm making here is that the tantric path, and Maharaji was a tantric teacher. He kept saying, it's, it's all God. What's the best form to worship God? Every form. I mean, that's the tantric teaching. Feed everybody. You don't have to do all kinds of complicated yoga. Yeah. And uh, without having somebody to kick you in the butt when you start getting stuck in a place, it's really easy to be, be uh, deluded. And these teachings, these Tibetan teachings are very, very powerful teachings, but almost nobody has the gift of you're in an ongoing sangha where there's somebody who's really guiding your unfolding. So uh, that's why I keep coming back to Maharaji where he just says, feed everybody, love everybody. Uh, He didn't encourage us to meditate. He didn't encourage us. I mean, like I just been studying 
math for 10 years at Berkeley and Stanford. And my mind was a complete, utter shambles. And I heard, <laughs> I heard Goenka is going to be doing some courses. I said, Maharaji, can I go study with the Buddhists? He said, if you like. He was not particularly enthusiastic about it. If you like, you know. But when he wanted to get rid of us, he would say, uh, you go into the course? In English, he'd go, course? <laughs> Keep moving. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, I mean, it's an interesting question, but, but Rago, it's really, to me, it's like, it just gives me a headache, the question you're trying to get me to answer. It's like, all I know is, I love Maharaji. I love you. I, I, I'm at a point in my life. I've got so many great teachers and teachings that now it's coming through me. I can give it back. What a blessing. And uh, there's always enough money. There's always enough joy. And, uh, you know, I, I, Ramdas Ram had that stroke. And I, I knew him as well as anybody. I lived with him in various places. We worked together. And I kind of despaired as how is he going to get through this last place where he's so caught? And the stroke did it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it mm -hmm. really, one would think what, I mean, here was the most articulate guy in the West talking about spirituality. Yeah. He, he could yeah. talk it better than anybody. He brought so many people to the Dharma by mm. taking these like beautiful concepts and putting them in words that anybody just walking in off the street could say, wow, that's what I've been looking for all my life. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. And all of a sudden he can't talk hardly, right? <laughs> and what that put him through. But that's how, that's how much Maharaji loves us that whatever it takes if you say you want freedom you've come to Maharaj and said I want to be free I've said I want to be free and look at all the shit that's happened in our lives <laughs> it's like I remember once when I was living in Santa Cruz right before I, I moved into this house with Ramdas I came to my altar and I said Maharaji uh, my life is pretty balanced now. I want to be free. Whatever it takes, just bring it on. And three days later, I come crawling back to altar said, maybe we need to slow down a little bit. Here. <laughs> I can't deal with it. What are you doing to me? Right? <laughs> oh, that's so great. Really? Well, it wasn't so oh, great. Come on, time. God. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh boy. I have something else here to move into. Uh, I mean, my own, take about, um, I understand what Thurman is saying and Trumpa Rinpoche, who I have something else from him that's interesting uh, in terms of Kalyan Mitra, you know, a friend. And uh, I have no relationship with that whatsoever regarding Maharaji. Uh, but I certainly uh, fully understand the value of it regarding a teacher, someone who's pointing the way, not is the way. And... Uh, uh, I, I think because of the, the abuse in, in the West that has uh, people have come to uh, under the tutelage of many uh, different teachers, uh, that cautionary tale and, and the way that uh, Robert is uh, characterizing it, I think is really important, actually. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, so uh, just moving a, a little ways away, if I can... Um, now, everybody out there, this is um, something from 
Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, both Ramdev and I have known, and uh, I, I don't think we've really talked about Trungpa, you and I, lately, but I appreciate him enormously, notwithstanding the pushback that he has gotten over the years uh, because of his uh, social activities, shall we say. And, uh, but... Uh, I don't think there's hardly any more astute translator of the teachings, the Tibetan teachings that I've ever read, except, you know, for Trumpa. I don't know if you agree or not about that. Completely agree. Okay. Um, Here's, so somebody asked him, do you have to be aware of death in order to actually be alive? So this is right up, you know, your alley. He said, I don't think you have to be particularly aware of death in the sense of analyzing it but you just have to see what you are. Often we tend to look for the positive side, the beauty of spirituality, and ignore ourselves as we are. This is, the, this is what I love about him so much. This is the greatest danger. If we are engaged in self-analysis, our spiritual practice is trying to find some ultimate analysis and ultimate self-deception. Right. Ego's intelligence is tremendously talented. It can distort anything. If one seizes on the ideas of spirituality or self-analysis or transcendence of ego, immediately (laughs) ego takes hold of them and translates them into self-deception. Is that great? He was brilliant. And uh, another thing he said was that until one comes into intimate contact with death, your spiritual practice will have the quality of you being a dilettante. Mm, mm-hmm. So he, he, he didn't say until you really think about death a lot or you intellectualize it or your ego really understands it, but you come into intimate contact. And the intimate means beyond the ego. It's like, you know, two, two balloons rubbing, two bodies rubbing, that you're, you're that close to death. Uh, that you know in the marrow of your bones you're going to die, until you know you're going to die, that spiritual practices, you can get a more efficient ego structure, a better class of sexual partners, maybe make a little <laughs> more money, right? Why are you That's laughing so really much for that one? I don't know why. Why did Raghu no, laugh? I don't one? know. I know. I don't know. <laughs> so we were, we were at Naropa, right? And... Uh, the first summer at Naropa. It's a big deal. It's the first Buddhist university in America. And a couple of things that the trunk was said. The first thing is he had a, like a faculty meeting. And he said, this is a big deal. This is the first Buddhist university in America. But we're not doing this for ourselves. We're not even doing this for our children. We're doing this for our children's children. Really? And I thought that was like such yeah. a beautiful thing. And then one night he gave this talk. He was up on the stage. You know, there's like a thousand people. And he has a craft next to him that looks like water, but it's sake. And he's like drinking the whole time. And at the, at, at the end of the talk, I walked outside. And the talk had been so brilliant, I could literally see each leaf of each tree glowing with consciousness. But when he stood up from his talk, he fell over on his face. No. <laughs> and he had a paper that was making the rounds there. Uh, called Unconscious Drinking. And what he said is, if you really hold awareness as you're getting high with alcohol, 
you don't get drunk in the same way. So I was living with Tara and we got a big bottle of sake. She was a dynamite meditator. We put this bottle of sake down between us. We started meditating and every 10 minutes or so we take a big slug of sake, right? And at the end of an hour, I felt like I was on acid. My, my ego was completely dissolved. My mind was crystal clear. Hmm. And I got up to pee and I could barely walk because I was my body was drunk. <laughs> but my mind was not. And I think the, the reason, my, I mean, this may sound like an excuse for his crazy wisdom stuff. But he, he was teaching when there was a lot of preciousness in spiritual life. Mm. People had their white clothes and their beads and their holy names and that. And he was showing you that there's no one, there's, it, it doesn't have to be precious. He, mm. he said, he said, meditate a lot, take care of your body and do whatever you want to do. And so his followers, they were having, they were having orgies really, if you get right down to it and drinking like crazy. But then there's the Saturday morning meditation. And if you've been drinking the last night and you got a hangover and you're there for three hours sitting in front of them, it's like hell. So people began to come to a more balanced life, not because he said, don't do this, don't do that. Maharaji rarely said, don't do something. Somebody said, should we smoke dope? He said, well, it'll heat up your mind and it's bad for the heart, but if you want to do it, do it. You know, he, he, he would never be telling people not to do things and Trungpa didn't either. I thought there was a very wise way of getting people to come to the Dharma on their own rather than trying to push them and force them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, by the way, everybody, and we'll put it in the show notes, but this, if you're on YouTube, is Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. It's one of his most essential books in my mind. Yes. So you go get it. Um, so one of the, the other thing that occurred to me um, is one of the greatest things of about Ramdas, since we've been talking about him a little bit, is um, self-honesty. Yeah. And we all came to that as soon as he started talking about his own BS, we started to relax, at least I did, and I know many people, same thing. You start to relax a little bit, it's okay, we're human. You don't have to, you know, want to cut your throat because you had a dark thought. And uh, I, I really appreciate uh, how what he transmitted around that to me is some of the most important uh, part of his teachings. Um, here's just something from another book that we have, by the way, Ramdas Words of Wisdom. It's mm -hmm. a wonderful book. The art of growth has to do with how quickly you admit error. We always make decisions from where we're sitting. Then that decision leads to a new moment. And then in the new moment, you listen again. And often you realize that the new moment suggests that the previous decision just led you into a new moment in which there is another decision that isn't going to be consistent with the last one. To the extent that you keep coming back into the existential situation with the trust that if you keep listening in the moment, and keep being true to what you hear. While people may be upset with you because you are not consistent, you will stay as close to the truth as you hear it. Mm. That's what you can offer the universe. That's actually fairly complex uh, in its uh, execution, I would say. <laughs> subtle. 
Yeah. So, you know, I mean, when we were with Maharaji, Ramnos more than anybody would would bring his his doubt and his fears to Maharaji. He'd come right up and say, I'm angry at people. Hardly yeah. anybody else did that. They tried, they tried to, you know, be the good devotee. But Ramos just let it hang out. Yeah. And it was such a great teaching because Maharaji always just kept showering love, you know. And uh, he got so angry at, at Tukaram once he threw a plate of food at Tukaram right in front of Maharaji. Yeah, right? yeah. famous story. And, but, I mean, I sure... I, I, I didn't have the balls to throw any food at anybody in <laughs> at that point. And so, I know. And you he, think about he, it. Yeah. Wow. He just let it hang out. And uh, I mean, in a way, when I read that whole book, Being Ramdas, there's yeah. a lot of new things I hadn't known about his early life. And then yeah. the second half of the book, I pretty much knew almost all that stuff. But what really struck me was from early childhood to the end of his life, he was focused on the truth. How can I be awake now? You know, all the way from prep school to Harvard to Tim Leary to, to on and on and on to Ramdas to the whole thing. There was this, this underlying focus on, even when he was despairing and depressed and or when he was taking like massive amounts of psychedelics, it was all in the service of, I want to find the truth. I want to be here. Yeah. The roadmap to uh, consciousness is how he expressed it, but but it's wouldn't you say aside from obviously this was a big big uh, piece of grace he got that he transmitted to the West. This uh, just being honest with yourself, wouldn't you say to me that's it is such a priority uh, to be on. Uh, the so-called spiritual path, to have that kind of honesty because the ease at which we all fall into spiritual bypass uh, is extraordinary. And the antidote to that is having, I mean, which is why mindfulness is very important. Give us a little shot around that, mindfulness. Well, I was, I, I, I've had COVID and I've been kind of weak. And I remember I was meditating a couple of weeks ago. I was having a really nice meditation, whatever that means. And all my mind was pretty calm. And uh, a thought came floating up. It wasn't like a big thought. It was just like a kind of a little floater. <laughs> and I kind of pushed it aside. I wanted to go back to the spaciousness. Mm. And I just saw how there was just the slightest judgment. It was so subtle. You know, like if I wouldn't have been meditating, if I would have been out and about, I wouldn't have even have noticed it at all. Mm -hmm. And even though we were talking earlier in our conversation about how Buddhism, you can bypass the heart. Yeah. At the same time, you do need to have that mindfulness to begin to notice the ways that you're not entirely kind with yourself. And that with the talking about Ramdas being so, has so much self-honesty, to me, that requires a great deal of compassion, a great deal of compassion. And compassion is not born when you're at the retreat or something. Compassion is born in that simple moment where you've just noticed that you've gotten lost in your mind. 
can you come back to being present through the heart rather than kind of there's some jerking, there's some slight violence, that there's always a sense of mercy, of tenderness, maybe a fierce tenderness, but there's a tenderness in your relationship with yourself. And uh, the Dalai Lama on his third visit to America said, now I'm beginning to understand it makes me so sad you Americans don't like yourselves, mm -hmm. right? So that we're starting this big project of disidentifying with the ego structure, the way the trunk was talking about, and identifying with basic intelligence or true nature or God. From the standpoint of you don't like yourself, it gets incredibly messy and, and convoluted very quickly until we have enough mindfulness to be with those almost automatic pushings away of where we're caught. And to me, what's kind of missing in Buddhism and is one of the main focuses on the way I teach meditation is embodied mindfulness, getting grounded and centered and having the lower chakras. I was talking to Mirabai Star at the Maui retreat in December. And she mm. said that, you know, she knew Ramdas back back in the day at Lama and he was teaching a lot there. And he, he said something that she actually found in her notes or a tape of it or something where he said, we're going to start spirituality on the fourth chakra because the first three are too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to start with the heart, but that's not going to work. Mm. And eventually, I mean, he came to that, that understanding too, obviously. I'm not saying that he was, but that was just a temporary mm -hmm. thing. Oh but, but like until you really inhabit the first three chakras that have to do with fear and guilt and shame, there won't be a foundation to bear the utter vulnerability of the spacious heart. So the heart can be open if the environment is really supportive. But if somebody's like being mean or you're having a hard time or something, and you don't have that foundation of mindfulness, embodied mindfulness, then the heart's going to be opening and closing all the time. Yeah, and reacting. And I think that uh, the same way we talk, or Ram Dass talked about it, we've been talking about it, how uh, Buddhists, uh, because of the beautiful crystalline clarity of their, of their version of reality, or a, the version of reality, they bypass the heart, because it's, you're so susceptible. This is the West, our minds are who we think we are. At the same time, people who are going through the heart and uh, not at all interested in what we might call viveka, discriminating wisdom. Mm -hmm. I think that, that we were given that uh, from Maharaji, the combination of these, how he, mm -hmm. right. you may, yes, he did not say, go meditate, although he's, hey, go to the course, get out of here, get rid of us. But at the same time, he, the, the, the uh, teachers that he praised the most were Buddhist teachers. Really? That I can, re yeah. I mean, talked really, uh, uh, Kalu Rinpoche being one of them. Oh. He, he uh, who he's basically, uh, you know, this my little uh, miracle story where he told me I'd be seeing Kalu Rinpoche without directly going, you know, you're going to be with some Tibetans. They're going to give you teachings. It never happened to you before. Are you sure? No, Maharaji, I never met a Tibetan. I was on my way to Delhi to get a new passport. And when I went to the consulate, Canadian consulate, they said, 
I said, are you letting in, uh, is Canada letting in refugees from Tibet? And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, and he went like that. And then in walked Kalu Rinpoche from another room with a retinue of monks. And I ended up in a room where uh, people were interviewing him from the CBC and he was bored with them. And as soon as I, they said, well, why don't you ask a question? I got Darshan, which Maharaji said, you have Darshan for 40 minutes with Tibet Lama? No. Yes. And that happened. And, uh, and I know f- a number of other people who he, well, here's this thing with uh, Krishnadas and I went one day and he had a bad knee and Maharaji took the pain from, you know, all of this stuff happened, except what was more interesting was Krishnadas had a diary. Something Are you wrong? saying that Kalu came to Maharaji and it? No, 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 no. Who had a bad knee? Krishnadas. Oh. He had the bad knee. Okay. And we went and nobody was seeing, Maharaji wasn't seeing anybody, but we went anyhow. They let us in. He fixed the knee. But the real thing was he had a diary, his diary with him. And Maharaji grabbed it and started looking through. And then he turned to the page, Mahamudra page, right? And he said, he told the translator, just translate some of this. And he did. And he went, Teak. That's exactly, yes, right on. There were many instances where there was references, um, even to the point, you know that famous story Krishnas tells where Maharaji said to him out of the blue one day, courage is a very important thing. And then Barman, one of the great devotee of Maharaji, said, no, this is the, this is the path of, Bhakti, grace, guru's grace. You know, like he's countering Maharaji, turned back to Krishnas and said again, courage is very important. So in many ways, the, uh, the combination, we were given the, the reality of discriminating wisdom through, through what, however each person's lens was a bit different to go along with the open heart thing and to go along with Ramdas saying, I went to uh, Thailand uh, or Burma and, and, and did a meditation retreat for three months. Then I could start to open my heart because right. I could have a focus. So the way in which they work together to me uh, seems uh, a gift, a gift that this legacy offers. Literally, though, in Tibetan Buddhism, the two pillars are wisdom and compassion, mm. both. And compassion without wisdom is mushy. Yeah. And wisdom without compassion is brittle. And so that we're always balancing. Am I getting too mushy? Am I getting too kind of heartfelt without discriminating wisdom? Or am I mm. getting too much into the wisdom and don't have the connected, spacious heart? Yeah. Happening? Yeah. yeah. And I've been with Tibetan lamas. I remember I was at a Dzogchen retreat once with Chagda Rinpoche. And at the beginning, he did some puja, you know, to bring in the deities and whatever. And he, he was, I mean, he's this like very uh, wonderful meditation teacher. And as he was doing the ritual, he was, the tears were just streaming down his face. You know, he was feeling so much love for the Dharma, so much love for the, the lineage mm. that this, his, his face was covered with tears. Mm. Yeah. That's, I remember Ram Das once said he was in a car with a bunch of Trungpa dev, uh, acolytes, whoever they called themselves, and they were going on about 
They were going Whatever on about they call themselves. Rago, get to clean it up. Um, no, I can't. Uh, they were talking about Trumpa, their teacher, in a in a manner that was absolutely no different than Ramdas thought. The way I talk about Maharaji, you know, right. with such great reverence, devotion, and so on. You know, it's all one. Um, last but not least uh, is. Uh, we, I think we all say many a time, uh, oh, yeah, you're, you're going to meditate yourself into enlightenment and you're going to keep trying to do it. You know, too many people who get on the path and that, that's what it's about. And um, I know we all pretty much say the same thing. It's about how kind can you be? How compassionate can you be? How much love can you share and radiate? And I found this thing uh, from somebody. I don't know at all. Christian Dillo. I want to give him a little credit here. A Zen person. And he, he defined the practice of kindness as making space and adding a little bit of warmth. Somehow that tickled me. That's so great. Isn't it? Yeah. But that's ultimately what what it's all about, as far as I'm concerned, to so, be able to, yeah. That whole thing about kindness, though, I mean, once again, I know I sound like I'm a contrarian. But you are a contrarian. <laughs> so the kindness thing is the one place I don't entirely agree with the Dalai Lama. Kindness that, is my only religion. Kindness is my religion. I think sometimes, uh, maybe it's just a matter of, language and translating and things but sometimes there it, compassion is not is not sweet sometimes compassion is fierce sometimes i mean we're 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 good at saying yes with an open heart and no with a closed heart but can we say no with an open heart mm. if if you're a parent and you say yes to your child all the time you're going to raise a monster right i mean we really uh Maharaji at times is incredibly fierce. He's like at yelling times? at people, huh? <laughs> at times? Yeah, at times. And at times he was incredibly tender. And at times he was both. So and there's a lot of young Tibetans who are kind of pissed off at the Dalai Lama because he'd let the, instead of having, uh, you know, dealing with the Chinese in a more kind of mm -hmm. asymmetrical anti-terrorist way or whatever, he just says, oh, let's non-violence, let the Chinese take over Tibet, which was maybe supposed to happen. I mean, what did Padmasambhava say like 1,500 years ago? Something like, when the Dharma comes to the land of the red... No, he said, when, when the iron bird flies and the iron horse runs on rails, the Dharma will come to the land of the red man. Mm. And so... Clearly, the Dharma was supposed to be spread and the Chinese, all the horrible things they've done there in Tibet helped create that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I mean, to me, Hanuman, Hanuman is Shiva. And they say that Hanuman is the deity that most quickly gives you darshan, Hanuman and Durga, because they're both beautiful. One's a cuddly monkey, one's a beautiful woman. But Hanuman is Shiva and Durga is the same as Kali. But Shiva and Kali, you know, hey, and I don't want to get too close to that hot stuff, right? Mm. And uh, I had Hanuman's darshan once. He actually mm. showed up in my bedroom. And the, the feeling was when he looked at me, 
was it was like the most sweet, tender love combined with all the strength of the universe. Mm. Mm. So that there was that Shavite thing that like it could, he could do, he could cut through anything, and yet he was this t- tender, loving monkey. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I'm going to take it down one notch before we got to go. Okay. And that around kindness, I guess I'm much more thinking of of a more compassion is much uh, is it's a broader, more complex uh, idea, and it, it whereas I guess what I'm talking about with kindness is just the literal walking across the street and someone falls and you can do nothing but help pick that yeah. person up. Of course, of course. Just just that just getting out of thinking of oneself all the time. Kindness is actually thinking, oh, wow, maybe there's somebody else around me mm-hmm. that needs some support. Uh, you get interrupted by a phone call. Somebody's going through something, a friend, right. uh, it's a neighbor, you know, just a basic goodness thing. And that's why I, I think that's an aspiration uh, for everybody. Okay. To become is there, kinder. Is, is, is there time for one short little thing here? Absolutely. Okay. Where's so the, podcast? the, the uh, sponsors will be, you know, we'll have to send them over to you too. So I, I was just telling some of this story yesterday. It just popped in my mind. I haven't thought of it for a long time. But I had this woman in one of my groups who was very open. She was uh, maybe too open. She'd had some abuse earlier in her life. But she had this like remarkable spiritual openness and availability. And she revealed in the group that she was, she had gone to this doctor and he put the make on her and, and it was really hard for her. And she told him to stop and he wouldn't stop and he would follow her to events and things like that. She'd go to Eckhart Tolle and he'd come or something like that. No, Adyashanti. And I said, I'll deal with it what's your doctor's name? She told me his name. And I called up the office and said, uh, this is Dr. Dale Borglum from the Living Dying Project. And I'd like to talk to Dr. So-and-so. The guy got on the phone and I said, I just want to tell you that I'm very good friends with so-and-so. And if you don't leave her alone, I'm going to get your license taken away. I'm going to make it happen. Let me tell you again, you're going to lose your license if you bother her one more time. Okay, so is that being kind? Is that I mean, to me that that kind. I mean, there's a difference between being kind and being nice. I mean, sometimes kind. I thought it's being kind to her by being fierce with him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nice is a whole other category of me, me. Uh-huh. I'm being kind is just an altruistic uh, impulse that is beyond your mind you just but i'm sure that doctor didn't think i was being kind to him well absolutely but i think ultimately you never know he might have come to his senses right you never know yeah so but uh you're kind you've been kind to me our whole ramdev and i were, were with everybody else back in the day uh and it's going on a lot of decades at this point. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here right now. Be here now. Talk about it. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. 
so yeah, great. I mean, the satsang are people I've known longer than anybody except for a couple of cousins. Yeah, yeah, right. It's amazing, isn't it? Talk about uh, and next year is going to be fifty year anniversary of of Maharaji leaving his body. Fifty years. Really amazing. That's right. Wow. Amazing, amazing. Well, everyone, this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And by the way, Ramdev has a wonderful podcast on the network. And uh, I'm not being kind. It is <laughs> very important and he, what he brings to the table. And I thank you, I truly mean this, for being part of the It's network. called Healing at the Edge. Healing at the Edge. Yeah. So yeah. take advantage. You'll see all, everything we've been talking about. Some of it will be in the show notes and there'll be links and so on. And I don't, are you, are you writing the book or is that still not? Well, it's just between you and me, poverty's helping me write the book. Oh, okay, great. All right. Wonderful. So everybody, we shall see you next week on Mind Rolling. Lots of love, Raghu. Thank you. Ram Ram. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>